Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the Revive Podcast. We're excited you're here. This podcast will include our Sunday morning Sunday school class, our worship night teachings, and an occasional fun interviews. I'm excited to share with you this week's episode. Okay, so last week we we left a passage, just to be totally honest, not finished. <laughs> so I, I got halfway through and we weren't able to finish because of time. And so I want to go back and revisit that passage and, and I want us to, to look at it again. Because there's a, something really special about this passage in the book of Acts. Um, we're in Acts 20, we're, in, we're starting from 17, we're kind of looking through verse, seven, verse 37. So there's 20 verses there. We covered about 10 last week and we're going to cover the, the second 10 this week. But did you know that in the book of Acts, so the book of Acts, we know this is about the beginning of the early church. It's where the, the church starts off. Uh, Pentecost happens. Jesus ascends into heaven. His disciples wait in Jerusalem. Pentecost happens. They are filled with the Spirit of God. Peter stands up, preaches the sermon of his life. 3,000 people come to know the Lord. And boom, just like that, the church is formed. And everything that's, that's happened since then in church history comes from the time of Pentecost. And so the book of Acts is the story of the church starting um, to understand how does it live in a community? How does it impact a community? How do you honor the Lord? How do you be ordinary people full of the Spirit of God to make an extraordinary difference? And it says that as they did that, they went through town to town, turning the world upside down, beginning to operate and live in a culture, in a custom that was completely different than the way that the town was used to. And everyone in here should say, yes, I want to do that. I want to be a person who lives completely uh, contrary to what culture says I need to live. I want to live in a way that honors the Lord. I want to live in a way that's full of worship. But we see that the Holy Spirit is actually the main character in the book of Acts. Because different people, full of the Spirit of God, go and impact different societies in a bunch of different ways. We get to this guy named Paul. Paul comes to know the Lord after he's been persecuting and killing uh, Christians. He has a, a passion for murdering Christians. And, and God decides to save that guy and not only save him, bring him to repentance, but he now becomes the leader of the early church. He's now the spokesperson for the leader. He becomes pastors, church planners, where he starts churches from city to city to city to city. He'll gather people together, teach them the gospel. And God uses that guy, completely redeems his life. And now all of a sudden, you have these churches everywhere. Well, all of the book of Acts is very mission-minded. It's very about what is the work of God that's happening in this city, and then we'll go to this city, and then we'll go to this city. And if you've been here long enough, you, we've gone through a lot of cities by now. So we've gone through city and city and city. But this passage today is actually the only passage, the only sermon in the book of Acts that's centered toward the believer. All the other sermons given in the book of Acts are centered around the non-believer, the person who doesn't know the Lord. And he's telling them, come to know Jesus, repent, believe, be baptized. He's explaining the gospel to them. You know, in the case of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, he's explaining the scripture, teaching them how the scriptures point to Jesus. In the case of Antioch, Paul's going and teaching them how their false gods, their Greek mythology, isn't actually the real God. But Christ is the real God. Jesus is the real God. That's what's happening. But this one passage is actually a sermon geared toward the believer. Now, we're told all throughout the letter that Paul spent time discipling and, and, and instructing different believers. This is the only one where you get to see the actual text. I found that very interesting. What does that say? It says that when it comes to 
the early church and when it comes to how it ought to function, that this, this little section, the author of Acts, which we know is a guy named Luke, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, the author of Acts is saying, I want to take a moment from all of the mission that's happening around, peel back the curtain and let you see what was the actual discipleship in those towns look like? What was it based around? What were the things that were said? This is kind of like the behind the scenes documentary. I don't know if any of y'all do that. When you watch a movie, do y'all ever go back and watch like how it was filmed? Does anyone ever do that? Okay, I would say like 90% of us don't, right? All right, but then there's like 10% that do and they're, they're more fun at parties because they actually know how things happened. Okay, all right, I'm just gonna say. So this is kind of like that section where he's, he's peeling back the curtain and saying, here's what that conversation look like. It's similar to what we've been studying in the main service when Jesus goes into the garden and he prays. You know, the, the scripture could have just said, and Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane, prayed his heart out, and then he was betrayed. Like, he could have said that. But rather, the author of the book of John actually peels back the curtain and shows us what did Jesus pray. The same way we get to see what did Paul actually say to his people. Why is that important? Because sometimes we've got to see something in order to believe something, and then we've got to see something in order to replicate something. So if we want to live for God in our communities, we can't just say, hey, go live for God. No, no I, got to, I got to see what it looks like. I mean, just imagine you've seen someone live for the Lord in a certain circumstance, and you go, that's what it's like. That's what I'm going to go do. That's what's happening here. And so we're getting an example from Paul. Now let's talk about this example. I feel like I'm going 100 miles an hour. Are we still, are we still tracking? Okay. I borrowed a Kindle phrase. Are we tracking? So Paul went to Ephesus. And in Ephesus, he starts this church. And remember, this church was started in the midst of a real pagan city. Ephesus worshipped the Greek goddess Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world. The temple of Artemis was in Ephesus. All the economy was built around the worship of Artemis. To deny Artemis is to deny um, Ephesus. So, if you are now saying, I don't believe in Artemis, I believe that Jesus is God, you're now a traitor to that city. So the church that Paul starts is made up of people that weren't very popular in the city of Ephesus. So he starts this church. And this church is going good. They're facing a lot of just persecution. Um, they're facing some riots. Um, and, and eventually Paul has to leave Ephesus because he was about to die. They're about to kill him which if you read the book of Acts is really normal for Paul. It's just like a Tuesday. He dies on Tuesdays. Like, so he's leaving a town, and he goes to this place called Miletus. And he calls all the elders of the church of Ephesus to him. Now, when we say elders, don't think of like these really old guys who gather around circle tables, right? I want you to imagine just local pastors from the town of Ephesus, because the church at Ephesus didn't have a large building where they would meet, so they would meet in people's homes. It's kind of like how we do CG. And so they would gather people together in their home, and that's where they would have church. So when Paul gathers all of the Ephesian elders, he's gathering all of those house churches, those leaders of the house churches together. And he gathers them in this town called Miletus. And in Miletus, you see that it's a 30-mile journey, and they had to walk to Miletus. And Paul looks them all in the eyes and gives like this 
departure farewell speech. And Paul was convinced he was going to go and die, which makes sense. He was aware of the reality of death consistently, constantly. He was aware of that reality for him. But he knew he was about to go and die. So he gathered the people who were going to leave this church. And, and these 20 verses are his charge to those people. You want to take this church and lead them in the city where there's hostility? You want to take this church and you want to show them how to love God? You want to shepherd the flock? You want to care for them? These are the 20 verses. In other words, you want to make an impact in people's lives? These are your 20 verses. So you could read this and say, okay, well, if these 20 verses are for elders, are for house church leaders, are for pastors, well, they're not for me. What we're going to actually look is that the role of the pastor here is the role that a lot of us might care, carry. The role of the pastor as far as caring for someone, denying themselves, seeking to help rather than seeking to receive. Those roles we play out throughout our entire life. Some of us get the opportunity to wear the job title pastor. And some of us just live out that role of, share, of caring and shepherding our friends. So we ought to examine these 20 verses so that we can see how we might live in our community because we will make an impact in our community. I want to be a part of a community that goes completely against the grain of what SFA says should be norm. People who say, I'm going to live for Jesus, I'm going to worship Jesus. So what does it look like? Well, so we... I want to read uh, the first few verses here um, and very quickly kind of go over the things we talked about last week. So let's just start in verse 17, uh, and we'll go for a little bit. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to them, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching to you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance for God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Just is briefly take a step back real quick. He's saying, look, y'all know that I'm, I've been in that town. He, he actually taught in Ephesus for about four hours a day for three years. These are the guys that he taught for four hours a day for three years. What kind of connection would you have with a teacher if you had them for three years, four hours a day? And if they were teaching you about how to follow Jesus, you would have a deep bond with them because you're also living life with them. You're doing life with them. And he's saying that he, there's humility. I think it's interesting we talked about this last week. He talks about humility. In the church world, Paul was somebody. He's a guy who had been going town to town to town to town who had been started something. Uh, in in the book of Acts, you might call him a celebrity Christian. He was someone that people knew their, his name. But how does Paul treat them? With humility, with tears and trials, humility. How he says, I taught you in public and I went to house to house. I told Jews, I told Greeks, I told them about repentance. Okay, so let's go to verse 22. That's what's happening so far. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. 
If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And that's where we stopped. That's where we stopped right there. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what's in front of me. I know that I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. He's gathered his people. Remember, this is a somber moment. I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what's in front of me. But what I do know is that everywhere I go, what are the words he uses? He says, imprisonment and affliction. Everywhere I go, I get beaten and thrown in prison. And I don't know what's in front of me, but I know I've got to go. Because I know the mission God has given me. Last week, we talked about how Paul understood the mission on his life and therefore made decisions based upon the mission. And the question was, do you know the mission God's given you? And are your decisions being formed by that mission? Or are we just living? Just whatever happens, happens. Or are we taking the mission of our life and letting that fuel the thing of how we make decisions? What's the individual mission that God's given you? In this point in your journey, what is God asking you to do? Who is God asking you to become? Paul knew that he was to testify about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did that to Jews. He did that to Greeks. He did that in large rooms. He did that house to house. That was his mission, and he was about it. Are we about the mission that God's given us? Because what you're about to see in the next 10 verses is that if you don't understand your mission, when you receive some, let's just call it turbulence, right, when, when hard times hit, you're going to falter if you don't know the why. If you don't know why you're following God, if there's not personal relationship with God and if there's not connection with God, if you don't understand the why behind the mission of what he's given you, when hard times come, we will crumble and we will, we will shrink away. Hard times will come. You've got to have your why. Paul was going to a place of prison and beating, but he knew his mission. That's what fueled him. So now we're going to look at verse 26. So that was the recap, all right? Everyone nod, everyone, everyone smile, we're good? Okay, all ready to get into this week? All right, if you weren't here last week, well, you got a little bit of it, but you can also go back and listen to it on the podcast. But All right, verse 26. And I'm just going to read until I stop reading. Therefore, so Paul says all this stuff, and he says, I got to tell you something. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Interesting phrase. For I did not shrink from declaring you the whole counsel of God. Stop. He says, I've got to tell everybody right now, I'm innocent of the blood of all. I did not shrink from telling you the whole counsel of God. Imagine the room. He preached four hours a day, three years. He says, I've told you the whole counsel of God. I'm innocent. In other words, he's saying, listen, I have instructed you about God's word. We've gone through, at that point, it would have been the Old Testament. He's gone through the prophets. He's gone through the Torah. He's gone through the stories of Jesus. And he's saying, I've taught you this. You know it. And I'm innocent of you saying, well, I just didn't know, so that's why I did blah, blah, blah. You know, there's no ignorance here. You're aware. 
and I've taught you the whole counsel of God. He's about to charge them to be pastors and care for their local communities. Did you know that you cannot care for your local community? You cannot care for your people if you do not care for them with the whole counsel of God. You cannot care for your people with your best ideas. You have to bring the counsel of God into their lives. I have a really interesting job where I get to meet with people who are hurting, who are struggling as a pastor. And they'll come and they'll sit in my office and, and, they'll, and they'll bring me their pain and their, and their troubles and their agonies and the things that are hurting. And I am doing them a major disservice if I just say, well, here's three steps to fix it and uh, I'll see you next month. Tell me how it went. I'm doing them a major disservice. Why? Because I've just given them ideas of how to fix an outward problem. Rather, someone who brings the counsel, the wisdom of God, the truth of God into a situation, that's what brings healing in people's lives. Have you ever seen your friend hurt and you just can like see it on their face? What do you do in that moment? You bring the wisdom of God in that situation. God is the one that brings healing, not you, not me. God's the one that brings truth and brings comfort. We get to bring the, the truth of God into those conversations. Paul is saying to those pastors, I've taught you the wisdom and the counsel of God. Isn't that true, though? Sometimes we have to be taught the things of God so that we can bring out the things of God, right? You cannot share what you have not learned. And some of y'all are trying to share things that we haven't, aren't spending time learning. You cannot share what you have not learned. So you want to care for the people around you? Spend time learning the counsel of God, the instruction of God, the wisdom of God. How do you do that? Well, you devote yourself to prayer. You devote yourself to teaching. You devote yourself to Scripture. God's Word has kind of become this phrase. I talked about this some the other day with a few of y'all, but like, when people come to us with problems, we're afraid to share what Scripture says to them because we don't want to be preachy, right? You understand what I'm saying? They're like, I, I ain't trying to preach at you. Well, we've become so afraid of being labeled preachy that we're not bringing them the counsel of God. And rather, we're just saying, man, I hope it feels better. I'm praying for you. No, no, no. You can help them in that moment. Like there is Scripture that you can come to them with. I'm struggling with anxiety. Well, you just say, man, I'm really sorry. I'll pray for you. Yes, you can do that, and you should. And you can also say, man, can I tell you what God's word says about that? Can I tell you what God actually says about that subject? I'm really struggling with stress, or I'm really, I'm really, really, really struggling with trusting people. Man, can I care for you in this moment? Be your friend. Paul had connection with these people. Y'all see that? He wasn't just preaching with no connection. There was connection. And he said, let me share the whole counsel of God with you. He says, I've shared this with you. You can take this to evangelism. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all. I've told you the truth about Jesus. When you have someone who doesn't know the Lord, have you told them about Jesus? Have you brought the counsel of God into their life? When they have problems, is it just you're like, man, that's really hard? Or do you bring the counsel of God in their life even though they don't believe in the Lord? Who solves problems? 
bring the counsel of God into their life. And that's what Paul had done. And if I don't hurry, I won't make it through this week either. So, all right, we are two verses in. All right. <laughs> okay. Here, here it is. Verse 28. Y'all there? All right, good, good, good. 28. Hey, shout out to all you people who bring, like, real Bibles to church. All right? Let's normalize paper Bibles. That's cool. All right. Verse 28. Also, if you're reading it on your phone, God still loves you. All right. (laughs) Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. All right. There's so much there. He's saying, okay, do you have influence? Do you have influence? Are there people around you that you love and care for about? Are you having gospel conversations with people that you love and care for about? He says, well, you need to pay careful attention to two things. One, yourself. Two, the flock. The flock is an interesting term. If you think about a pastor being a shepherd, the flock are his sheep. A shepherd cares for his sheep. A pastor cares for his people. Okay? So he says you need to pay careful attention to yourself and you got to pay careful attention to others. Why is this important? Well, you got to pay careful attention to yourself. If you want to be an effective leader in life, your effective leadership only comes when you yourself are submitted underneath the reign and authority of God. When the effective leadership of yourself is taking the same position that Paul has of humility. There's a phrase he used in that first verse that says, you know how through all humility I've served you with tears and trials. You know what tears and trials produce within you? Humility. Because you are aware in that moment of tears and trials that you can't do this absent God. Right? We, like, we, we've been there. Like, we all, like, cried like a baby before, right? Like, okay, we've been there. In, in that moment, how confident are you in your own abilities? Zero. Like, there's a reason you cried. See, that creates humility within us. Hardships in our life create humility. We don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear that. But we lead people through humility. He says, not only care for yourself, but care for your flock. He says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. In other words, God's put these people in your life for you to care for them. Care for them. Who has God put into your life for you to care for? Who are you caring for? If I were to skip down, there's a, there's a passage here and it says, well, it, is, it, is blessed, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, it's more blessed to care for than to be cared for. But we just want to be cared for. The gospel is who needs to be cared for. I hope I didn't lose you all there. Go and care for someone, whether or not they care for you. Who are the people in your life that need some love? 
that need the counsel of God, that need encouragement? Who's your friend that's had a crazy week, failed two tests, and they got drama at home? Go care for them. It's interesting, though. It says that God has put you as overseers, and I believe that for pastors particularly, God has given us the opportunity to care for local congregations, to care for the church of God. He says, care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. He did not say, care for your people because they're your people. He says, care for the church because God has paid the, the price for them with his blood. In other words, if I were to give you something that was not yours, and I said, hey, take care of this. Let's just say it's my child. And I said, hey, take care of this for an hour. You would take care of, I'm, I'm going to quit saying this. I'm going to use the word Owen and Oliver. <laughs> you would take care of Owen and Oliver with, with more care because they're not yours. Because they do not belong to you, you're just in charge of overseeing them. You're like, I cannot mess this up, right? And all y'all just volunteered for babysitting, and I appreciate that. But he says, like, because it's not mine, and this actually belongs to someone else, I've got to take really good care of it, right? It's like borrowing a sweater. If this isn't my sweater, I've got to take care of it, so I've got to give it back to them. Okay, he, he says, you're going to care for the people in your life because they're not actually your people. They're God's people that he's allowed you to care for. And so because God has allowed you to care for them, you will care for them in the moment now, but knowing they are his. Okay, then he says this, verse 29, and I've got to kick it in high gear. All right. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. Okay, let's stop right there. Just because you invest in someone does not mean that they will not turn against you. He says that care for the flock because wolves are coming. Okay, wolves eat sheep. Care for the flock because wolves are coming. Now, wolves from the outside make sense, right? If you're caring for the people of God, people who aren't the people of God, attacking the people of God, makes sense. But what does he say? He says that there will be wolves, even some of you among us tonight. There will be wolves, people from within the congregation, within the family of God, who will be about division. How do you know if someone's a wolf or not a wolf? What does he say? Wolves come among, they speak things that are twisted to draw the disciples after them. A bad leader or a bad influence or a person that's a wolf in this scenario is someone who is about gathering a following for them, drawing people to themselves. Come hang out with me. My teaching is best. Come be with me. They're gathering a personal accolades. The gospel is all about humility. And I'm just going to do a real quick soapbox. All right. So if, if you are like me and you live in a world full of celebrity pastors, how do you navigate that? 
Because if a pastor is about humility, but we live in the world of the internet, how do you go about that? And then there's people that aren't big name pastors, but they've like started these podcasts and now they're like super famous, but like, who are you? Like, it's a thing, right? It's a culture we live in. What's the test? Well, the test is, are they gathering a following just for themselves or are they leading you back to Jesus? Are they interested in just telling people what's wrong with the world and helping you hate the church more? Or are they drawing your heart to remember the goodness of God? That's the filter. So when you're listening to someone and all they're doing is throwing shade on a local church and all they're doing is talking about how everything we're doing is wrong, but, but their ideas can fix it. That should be a major red flag. And maybe you stop listening to them. I'm not saying pastors shouldn't call out congregations to follow the Lord more. No, they should. But that should not be the only thing that you do. So you're looking for people who are drawing you back to the Lord, not because the wolf draws people away from the congregation and to after them. A wolf is someone that draws people from a congregation to themselves. So what does he say? He says, you got to be alert. I've taught you. You know the truth. Look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, we already talked about this. He says, I'm encouraging you. Come on. God's word and God himself are able to encourage, to build you up. Hard times are coming. The only thing that's going to help you is God and his word. Hard times are coming for your friends. and The only thing that's going to help them is God and his word. Hard times are coming. Betrayal is coming. It's God's word. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Look at verse 34. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I've shown you by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give to receive. He talks again about how, hey, I didn't, I didn't do this for the money. He says, I, I worked an honest job so I could pay for things. I wasn't about getting your money. But I was rather about helping the weak. And guys, I, I believe that there's a little bit of that same call that he's given to these Ephesian elders to us. Care for your people. Bring the whole counsel of God and your people. You live with humility. Live with humility. Live simply. Care for your people. Bring the whole counsel of God. You will receive trials. You are going to have a bad day. Care for it your people. They're because they're actually God's people. Care for the people God has asked you to care for. I want you to imagine if God himself said, he said your name and said, will you care for these three people? Oh my goodness. Can you all imagine that scene? I would stand up in a heartbeat and say, yes, <laughs> absolutely I can care for them. I've, asked, I've been asked by God to care for these people. I will be there. That's what he's asking us to do. And the, the story ends with them gathering together, praying, embracing one another, crying, hugging, because they would never see each other again. And uh, spoiler alert, they never did. And so this funeral sermon that Paul gives pretty much says, it's not about me. 
care for the people God's put in your life. Know your mission, live your mission. It's not about me. Care for the people in your life. and Know your mission and live the mission. If we live that way, we'll make an impact. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I pray that in all things, God, we would very simply make it about you and live a life full of humility. I just am so grateful for that text today. May we care for those who need to be cared for. In your name we pray. Amen.